We're starting a new, we're starting a new sefer tomorrow. Ele Devarim. Just in context to understand what's going on here. This book, Ele Devarim. Ele Devarim, Sefer Devarim, basically is Moshe Rabbeinu at the end of his life, last month of his life. Basically, goes over many of the principles that he taught them, even including many of the halachot, repeating many of the halachot and adding certain extra details in the halachot. And it begins, These are the words. Asher diber Moshe el kol Yisrael. These are the words that Moshe spoke to all of Israel. There's a lot in these words that we just read. First of all, to say Ele Hadevarim after we read so many words that Moshe Rabbeinu spoke to Am Yisrael in Shemot, in Vayikra, in Bamidbar, the three books we read before. So many times Moshe Rabbeinu spoke to Am Yisrael to say, Ele Hadevarim, these are the words that Moshe spoke to Israel is not appropriate. These are not the only words that Moshe spoke to Bnei Israel. So what does it mean, Ele Adevarim? So because of this, Rashi Alava Shalom, he explains to open our eyes that these indeed were unique words that were never spoken before at least not in front of the entire nation. What was so special? What's so unique about these words? But before we go into that, let's finish the Pasuk. Be'ever hayarden simply means they were across the Jordan. Bamidbar, they were in the desert. Ba'aravah, in the plains, Mol Suf, opposite a place called Suf, Ben Paran u Ben Tofel. They were in a spot between a place called Paran, a place called Tofel. Velavan, Bahatserot. Very specific location, it looks like. They want to give us exactly where they were. Doesn't seem to be really of any value to us. Who cares where they actually were, which spot? But the Torah goes into details exactly where this place is. Lavan, Hatserot, Dizahab. Which is itself not really relevant. So, from all of these questions, Hazal tell us that there's something much deeper going on here and very relevant to all of us. So Rashi says, Lefi shehen divre tochahot. He says here, when it says, Ele hadevarim, these are the words, the words that we're referring to are the words of rebuke. 
Moshe Rabbeinu here got up in front of the entire nation to give them some strong words. These are the words that Moshe spoke to all of Israel. Meaning the words of rebuke you're not going to find like this before. Before he taught them halachot, he gave them advice. But to hear him speak with words of direct rebuke on things that they did wrong in front of the entire nation, this is it. That he spoke to all of Israel. But Rashi Alava Shalom says, Lefika, and therefore, Satam et Adevarim vehiskiran beremes, which means since he was rebuking them, he hid the rebuke in the words that he used. He only gave them the rebuke through a remes, in a hint. To save their honor. Which means that all the things we mentioned before, it's not the location of where they were. That's not why it's mentioned by Midbar, in the desert, by Aravad. All these were places that they actually sinned. And he's reminding them through naming the place that they did something wrong in that place. Like someone tells you, remember when we were in Virginia Beach? So if he remembers what happened there, he'll remember that you're trying to remind him that he did something wrong. See here, Moshe Rabbeinu, instead of coming out in front of the people and saying, guys, you did this, you complained about the man he did the egel, the golden calf. He doesn't say that. He just talks to them in hints. He says, Bamidbar. Remember the desert, guys? Meaning you complained about the desert. Remember, Dizahab. Dizahab talks about the egel. That's the gold of the egel that was used. That was a reminder for the egel. Ben Paran. Paran. Is talking about the place where they sent the spies, the Miraglim. So in this Pasuk is hinted many of their wrong deeds that they did. And Moshe Rabbeinu being the leader and realizing his responsibility of getting up in front of the nation and telling God, you're doing wrong or you did wrong. That's what he did in this parasha, in this Pasuk. The reason why he did that? Why would he rebuke them indirectly? Why not to give them straight rebuke? Your son does something wrong? You tell him. Your student does something wrong? You tell him. Why is Moshe Rabbeinu beating around the bush? Why is he not just go out and say it? Why does he have to remind them through a hint? And hopefully they'll get the hint. Isn't it clearer if he gives it over in a word-by-word word explaining what they did wrong. He gave them the remez. He gave them a hint. 
and he wants them to figure it out. Some maybe won't figure it out. I don't know. But that's what the system that Moshe Rabbeinu used. What's the reason he did that? So, Rashi Alaba Shalom tells us that he did that because he was worried. He was concerned for the honor of the Jewish people. Meaning, he was concerned that they, they would be embarrassed. So to go out in public and tell them what they did, it's not so nice. So therefore, he tried to keep it under the radar. He also gave them rebuke here at the end of his life. Hazal tell us he did this on purpose because he wanted to wait till the end of his life to give the rebuke because he was concerned if he would give it too early in advance they may get offended and may leave the Jewish people they may be so upset they say you know what Moshe Rabbeinu is talking like that to us I'm out of here who needs to be part of this when people get offended or people get hurt there's no telling of what they're able to do in a negative way in fact I'll give you it says Yaakov where, where did Moshe learn this from? from Yaakov Avinu Yaakov Avinu waited till the end of his life to rebuke his children for things they did many many years before it he waited to rebuke Shimon and Levi for wiping out the city of Shechem he waited many years to tell them that they did something wrong. So Moshe Rabbeinu learned from Yaakov Avinu that to rebuke somebody, wait till the end, wait till near death. Now we're not talking about rebuking somebody based on him doing something wrong now. If someone is about to do something wrong or you know they may do it again, so then you have to rebuke them. The Torah says, <laughs> If someone is doing something wrong or about to do something wrong, we have an obligation to go and rebuke him. Here we're talking about a different kind of rebuke. It's more of a rebuke about what they did. For example, Shimon and Levi are not going to kill Shechem again. That's, that, that, that's not happening. Whatever they did, it's over. So now you want to rebuke them about things they've done and there's no concern about the same thing happening again. It's about commenting. Meaning there is a value in commenting to a person that he did something wrong even if they won't do it again. Because there might be certain lessons to learn for other, for other reasons. So Moshe Rabbeinu here gets up and tells them about many of the things that they did wrong. At the end of his life, he learned it from Yaakov. Yaakov Avinu, it says over there, that Yaakov was worried if he would rebuke Reuven, for example. If he would rebuke his son Reuven, the words of Hazal are as follows. Yaakov says, if I rebuked him at the time he did it, I'm afraid he may leave me and join Isav. So he waited till the end of his life so he could rebuke him. Amazing. Reuven 
one of the Shivatim is going to leave Yaakov to live with Isav. Isav is like complete opposite of what Yaakov stands for. Is that really something possible? That you could rebuke your son and he'll join Isav? Answer is yes. That when may not, he may not join Isav tomorrow, and he may not be completely like Isav, but when a person is hurt, they can do a lot of silly things and end up in a very bad place. So Yaakov says, I'm too scared to rebuke Reuben. But at the end of his life, he says, now is the time. Let me tell him, why is the end of his life better? If rebuking is a danger, why the end of life makes it better? Answer is that one of the reasons that people don't accept rebuke and get hurt is because they feel there's something personal. Why do people not accept rebuke from someone in general? They feel the person has a personal issue. Maybe he doesn't like what the person did because he does something different. So, for example, if I keep Shabbat and I see someone not keeping Shabbat, Maybe I'm rebuking them because I want them to agree with me. I'm not rebuking them because I care about them. I'm not rebuking them because I want them to have a better life. That's really what I should be doing. And if it was accepted that way, if people felt the ahava and the love that you rebuke them for them, they actually would listen. But most often people don't accept it that way. They look at it as you had some personal agenda in mind. Either you're protecting your own lifestyle or maybe something once happened between us and now is a perfect opportunity for you to do something. Or maybe once you rebuked me and I found the perfect opportunity to rebuke you. Whenever there's an agenda in the recipient's mind, of why you just said that to him. So then that's an automatic turnoff. Even if what you're saying is right. And even if you actually do care. So often in life, this is one of the most important arts to learn, you know. Because rebuking and giving people, uh, call it advice. Or comments. Is probably the most important part of a relationship. The most important part of a friendship is helping your friend when he's doing something that's not good for him. And most times it has to be done, it has to be done with your words. It's telling your wife that she's doing things in her life that's not putting her in the right place. You're watching it. It's telling your children that they're going the wrong way in certain situations. So it's giving them advice. It's sometimes even advising your parents. And it's advising your friends and advising your students. There's probably no greater part of a friendship than giving people direction. There's nothing more critical in a friendship. Friendship is not about... Hi, how you doing? Let's go for a drink. That's not, that's not friendship. That's companionship. That's boring, not bored.
So I need someone to hang out with. Let's go for dinner. Well, we're not the last six nights. Okay, we'll go out again. Because you're bored. What are you going to do? That's called companionship. There is room for companionship in the world. But friendship is not being together with you because I'm bored. Friendship means I actually want to help you. That's why I'm your friend. And helping, yes, sometimes with money or sometimes by telling the person to be careful from that guy who's trying to get investors. But the most relevant part of helping a person is when you see the person doing something that's self-destructing and you need to tell them because most situations in life people do not see what they're doing as anything wrong they're blind to themselves they're smart enough to see others but themselves they can't see they're blind so anyone who's doing something wrong usually is blind they don't see it. So it's not that you're smarter than them. It's not that you have more necessarily experience than them. It's just that you're not them. So that you're able to see it without the emotional connection. You're able to see clear on the other person what they can't see. The most critical part of a friendship of any kind, family or friends that are far from family, is the ability and the responsibility of giving the person direction or criticism for something that they're doing wrong. That is obvious. That is what friendship is. If your friends will, will look at you doing something terrible and stand by, they're not a friend. If you let your children do things and destroy their lives and you don't step in, you're not a caring father. You might tell them, but I, I take them on vacation. I buy them food. I buy them clothes. I bought them a house. No, no, no. All those things are very nice. But really, the way to tell if you care about someone or not is are you willing to put yourself out there and criticize them, which is not so easy, to help them because you see that they can benefit. So this is part of life an important part of life. And here Moshe Rabbeinu learns from Yaakov Avinu that you, you got to do it at the end of your life. Again, they needed to do that because they felt that there was an agenda that the person would be automatically thinking, oh, that's why. For example, if Yaakov would rebuke Shimon and Levi for wiping out Shechem, it says, it says over there that Yaakov Avinu's name in the world got somewhat tarnished, that his children wiped out a city. So when Yaakov would come to rebuke Shimon and Levi for what they did, automatically their thought is, oh yeah, because people are talking about him, so now he's coming against us to tell us we did wrong. That's, that's an agenda. An agenda-based criticism doesn't work and in fact makes people so upset they can completely leave you and leave all the good so over here uh, says that Moshe Rabbeinu waited till the end of his life this way there would be no agenda 
That's one of the reasons. There are more reasons why the end of life is easier and better. But one of them is there's no agenda. You come in and now the person is going to listen. Because remember, the whole purpose of giving criticism is for the person to hear you. So if you do it in a way that they're not going to hear you, you didn't do anything. In fact, maybe you did something not good. Giving criticism is one of those very, very, uh, it's a very thin line between doing something great or terrible. You know, sometimes in life, you can do something great or you don't do it so great. This one's not like that. This one, if you do it, you're doing great. You're helping the person. If you do it wrong, you destroy the person and maybe many things in the future and your relation. It's like a very sharp sword giving somebody criticism. If you, do it, if you don't do it, you're hurting them. If you do it, you might be hurting them too. So you have to learn how to do it. So Moshe Rabbeinu over here waits till the time when he feels they will realize no agenda. I'm leaving the world soon. I'm about to die. There's no agenda here. We're done. So they will be able to hear it. But even then, he get, even then, with all that, he does it beremes. He does it in a hint. Now, by the way, you could do the same thing. This is for us to learn. When you give your child rebuke, sometimes, usually, you have to start talking beremes and see, you know, there's a big question on this, by the way. It says he rebuked them with a hint. All you have to do is turn a few pages. This parasha, parashat Ekev, you'll see Moshe Rabbeinu blatantly tell them exactly what they did wrong. No hints. If you look later on, he tells them straight out. He says, for example, by the Miraglim, he says straight out. In this parasha, you came to me and you said, let's send people. And then I said, okay, send 12 men. And then they came back. And he says, You went against the word of Hashem. And you complained in your tents. And you said, He gives very clear description of what they did wrong. So there seems to be a problem here. The beginning of the parasha were all proud and we just learned this big lesson. What's the lesson? That when you give rebuke, hint. Sounds great. Usually people don't read the rest of the parasha, so they're good. But if you just continue reading, you realize what hint. He said outright. What, what's going on? So I'm going to tell you a tremendous lesson from here. One that you could use immediately in your life. This you don't have to wait. Immediately. When you give someone rebuke, it's best to give them clear, clear what they did wrong. You don't want to leave it up to guesswork. But... You first have to test the waters. You have to see how they're receiving your words. 
So you start out beating around the bush a little bit and seeing if they are receptive. If they are receptive, then you're able to go to the next step. The fools amongst us, which maybe myself as well, we go usually straight. No, we're already 75 miles per hour. We're already in. We rev up before we even saw them. And by the time we talk to them, we're ready to get to the main point. That's a terrible mistake. Do you need to give your children and your friends rebuke clear? Answer is yes. That's the best way. This way you talk it out, you explain to them detail by detail. You talk in remez, there were no sometimes what you're talking about. Especially in the world we live in, you tell a guy remez, he'll understand him backwards. He'll think you're praising him. That's what people automatically in their own mind, they, they live in their own world. But you got to go in and you got to test the waters. Where do we know that they actually were listening? Where does it say it? So it says one of the most beautiful berachot. In fact, we stop in this spot when we read the Torah because it's a beautiful blessing. It says over here that Moshe Rabbeinu, after he mentioned these words, the next page, he tells them, Adonai Elohe Abotechem. He says, Hashem, the God of your forefathers, Yosef Alechem Elepamim. He should bring more Jews to the world like you. Every Jew in the world should be like you. Imagine what happened. Here he is rebuking them. Remember this sin that you did. Remember that sin that you did. After he finishes, guys, I want to tell you, I wish every Jew in the world would be like you. <laughs> what, a, what a conversation. Imagine someone ripping you apart for the last 40 years of your life. He's slicing you one slice at a time. And my ways, by the way, don't you know, everyone should be like you. That seems to be the wrong ending to the book. What, do you, what is he saying? It's not the right place to do this. Maybe somewhere else. Maybe a different conversation. In a conversation of strong rebuke, you say, I wish everyone would be like you. They should bless you. What does that mean? Very hard to understand. The Midrash says that when they heard Moshe Rabbeinu's rebuke and they obviously got the message, Midrash says they could have told him, Moshe, what, why are you telling us this? This happened 40 years ago. We weren't the ones that did the egel. That was my father. What, what do you want from me? How many times someone rebuked you for something that your father did, your mother did? It's not me. I didn't do it. He's giving them rebuke, things that happened 40 years back. Those people are gone. They all passed away. That's why we waited 40 years for the new generation. Moshe Rabbeinu here is talking to the new generation. He's talking to somebody else. And he's telling them, guys, remember the golden calf? What golden calf? We didn't do the golden calf. Remember when you complained? Remember the miraglim? 
Remember the spies when you were all crying? Well, I was five years old. What are you talking about? Am Yisrael could have responded to Moshe Rabbeinu, hey, you got the wrong address. What are you rebuking us? We didn't do it. How does it feel when someone rebukes you for something you didn't do? It's, uh, it's, it's a horrible feeling and the reaction is just as horrible. But yet, Am Yisrael, they heard every word and says, yes, you got it. You're right. We accept your rebuke. Why would you accept rebuke for something you didn't do? You know, it would be a great quality to accept rebuke for something you did. But the rabbi gets up and says, guys, you did this, you did that. We didn't do it. We didn't do it, not us. You know how many times this happens? Sometimes you speak about a certain issue. You say, Rabbi, you're in the wrong shul. The people you want to talk to don't pray here. Could you imagine? Could you imagine coming in tomorrow to this synagogue, the deal synagogue? And the people here usually are Shomrei Shabbat, they keep mitzvot keel they're all they're learning, they're doing. You say, guys, you got to upgrade the Shabbat. You got to stop doing things on Shabbat that are mehalel Shabbat. And you go into a, 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 a whole rant about Shabbat, the sanctity of Shabbat. You got to make sure you don't play music on Shabbat. You got to make sure you're not parties on Shabbat. Yet. And all sitting there, well, hello, who are you talking to? It's not, it's not us. People walk out of there, their heads spinning. And if you got personal with them, they'd probably be very upset. And here, I'm Yisrael. Say, I hear you. You're right. I hear. The Hegel is a big issue. Why do they hear it? Why is it that they hear it? Me and you couldn't hear it. How come they said, we accept the rebuke. You're right. We got to get better. I hear you. I'm going to tell you a little Hidush. And I hope you put it in your pocket for the rest of your life. Because it's one of the most important principles and values you could live with in your life but I warn you ahead of time I warn you it's not easy but the fruits of my advice to you right now is tremendous not so easy and you probably have to remind yourself every so often about it have you ever said when something happened to you in life it's some people, they say that when bad things happen to them. It's a very low level. When good things happen to them, it's never minashamayim. It's always themselves. They only, the department they do is only good. They don't know how to mess up. So whenever good things happen to them, they take full credit for it. Whenever something bad happens, they say, minashamayim. That's why whenever you hear a guy say minashamayim, you know he needs help. People never say Mina Shamaim when good things happen. It's unfortunate. It's a terrible situation for it to be in a life when the only thing you see from Shamaim is bad. But there are people like that who would automatically say Mina Shamaim means something terrible happened to them. But there are people, Baruch Hashem, who are an upgrade from that. 
that even when good things they say, they say, wow, what a, what a, what a deal you made. Ah, you did this. Good. That's a higher level where you see Shamaim also in the good you have. Beautiful. Yes? But a believing Jew who knows that Hashem runs the world and is involved in every single area of our lives, that's what a, that's what a Jew is. The essence of a Jew. The essence of a Jew is emunah. And the essence of emunah is that this is not a haphazard world where things just randomly happen. Emunah is there is a creator who is directly involved in the world and in your personal life. Things don't happen in your life randomly. There's no random. Hashem gives you the ability to translate it as random so you could have free choice to be a ma'amin or not. Emunah is free choice. You have to choose to be ma'amin. And Hashem will make things look random. So it's up to you. You want to see? You don't want to see. But a Jew with emunah understands that everything that happens in his life, whether it's great, good, terrible, it's all coming from Shamayim. It could be because of his free choice. That's why Shamayim had to do something. We have free choice. But Hashem is always talking to us. He's always talking to us in this world. When you see a person in the hallway, someone you haven't seen maybe in a few months or in a few years, that's Mina Shamayim. Hashem put that person there for you to greet him and make him feel missed and special. When you see a hatan walk in, that's mina shamayim, for you to give him a few words of encouragement to make him extra happy during his seven days. Everybody we see is mina shamayim. Anything that happens to us is mina shamayim. Not only the good things and the bad things, it's everything. So now, all of a sudden, somebody gets up to rebuke you. Either direct, one-on-one, -on -one, or to a kahal. And you're sitting there and saying, well, you know, what do I have to do with this? I don't do these things. But let me tell you something. You heard of Mina Shamayim. You know what Mina Shamayim means? Mina Shamayim, there's a reason why you're sitting there and why that message, that message was said over today and you need to hear it. Nothing randomly happens. Even when you hear words of rebuke, it's not random. It's also Mina Shamayim, which means that you needed to hear it because really there is something that you need to take out of it. Maybe not exactly those words, Maybe something, maybe it was supposed to be a hint for something. There is never something that you hear that's rebuke that's not directed to you. It may not be fully the way you're doing it. Maybe they're talking about people who are putting music on on Shabbat. It's not you. But guess what? Maybe your Shabbat 
also has a little music to it that's not appropriate. Maybe it's not what they were talking about, but it's also something relevant to you. There's a remez, there's a hint to you too. Whatever you hear something and you find yourself in a place, you need to know it's directed to you. That's what Am Yisrael achieved in that moment. What did they achieve? They achieved this level. Because Moshe Rabbeinu was talking, but they didn't do it. And yet they're all listening and saying, Emet, you're right. We did the Egel. Well, we didn't do the Egel, but we may have thought something that would be like doing the egg. And maybe we didn't have Emunah, like they didn't have by the Egel. And oh, but we complained about the man. Well, we didn't complain about the man, but one morning we had an issue. Like we said, Parnassah, we're a little bit worried. Is Hashem going to give me, not going to give me? Okay, that's like the man. So they took the message for them and they didn't say, why are you talking to us? And that says Moshe Rabbeinu, what a beauty. I wish every Jew in the world would be like you. That's what he says. Yosef, Alechem, Kachem, Elefamim. I wish every person would be like you. Imagine, Moshe Rabbeinu had many qualities that he saw in his life. He never said this, Berachat. He never told them, wow, look at the way you pray. I wish a thousand people, every Jew would be like you. He saw them keep Shabbat. He never said this. He saw during his 40 years, many beautiful accomplishments. He saw Kibbut Abba'im and he saw so many people. He never said, I wish everyone would be like you. But when it came to this one, he says, I wish every person would be like you. You know what that means? You know what that means? It means there's nothing that you can possess in life greater than the willingness to hear rebuke from another person. There is no greater quality because mistakes in life happen because we're not listening to other people's critique. And when you don't listen, people don't want to talk to you either. So you miss out on life. In fact, it says in the words of Hazal, Look at these words. It says that if a person, if people would listen to rebuke, there would be no bad in the world. Only good things. There'd be, listen, imagine. Imagine everyone in the world actually took this and put it in their pocket. Let me tell you off the bat what they would not be. AA would shut down. Alcoholics Anonymous would shut down tomorrow. He would have put himself in that situation. He heard his father telling him, don't do that. He heard his mother say, be careful. He heard his rabbi talk about it in shul. He heard. He's not deaf. If he would have taken the words, there wouldn't be one person in AA. They wouldn't, safe would shut down. There wouldn't be one person that would fall into gambling, drug, not one person, would not. Because they would hear when their parents, their friends, and their teachers spoke to them. Says the Vraita, you know why there's bad in the world? You know why people end up in bad places? I gave you extreme examples, but there's many, many levels of it. It's because they don't listen when people talk to them.
because they don't have this quality of loving to hear rebuke. I want to hear rebuke. And even if it's not directed to me because it's not relevant to me, it's directed to me. Because not hakol mishamayim. Everything is from Shemaim. If you heard it, then it's relevant to you. When Moshe Rabbeinu sees, based on his hint, he got them into the sugya, he's hinting to them about all the things, and he saw how receptive they were to his words. Now he went on the next level, the next speed. Now he went into detail. He gave them stronger words. What an unbelievable parashah this is in two ways. From the, from the side of the one getting rebuked, what a beautiful thing to be like this person. By the way, if you're this person, you're walking around with Moshe Rabbeinu's beracha. You want a beracha? This is the beracha. Moshe Rabbeinu's blessings are eternal. The blessings of the Torah are not for one people, one generation. If you're a person who is willing to take upon himself that from now on in life, whenever I hear words of rebuke and it's natural for me to be upset, to get hurt, I'm going to stop and I'm going to hear what the person has to say. Not necessarily they're always right, but I want to hear it, I want to assess it, and I'm not going to blow it away. That is the most beautiful possession you could take in life no matter what your age is, to love to hear rebuke. The rabbi gets up to hear, say something, listen to it. Say, what does it have to do with me? What's relevant to me? That's one critical lesson. And the other one, just as critical, is that when you give somebody rebuke, you need to do it. You got to be strategic. You got to be smart. Because mem- remember, the goal isn't for you to fish Albo to, to, you know, sometimes they not. That's it. I had to tell him. I had to say it. I couldn't hold it anymore. If that's where you're coming from, you are doing a terrible sin. You're hurting the person. You're not helping him. Anytime you're coming from, I had to say something. How long can I hold on to this? All those code words show you this is not rebuke. It has to come off with no agenda. And you got to start exploring. Start saying something. Something small and see if they pick it up. See if they're open to it. And then you go into high gear. Don't start in high gear. Usually when you give rebuke, you're angry. And when you're angry, you start in high gear. And in high gear, nothing gets accomplished. You want to help your wife. You want to help her. But you can't. Because you don't know how to talk. Because you don't know how to... You don't know the advice of Moshe Rabbeinu. How many things could you tell the people close to you that will make their life better and happier? So much that you could do. But you don't have the tools. Moshe Rabbeinu is teaching us the tools. You do it without agenda. You do it slowly. You throw in hints. You see how receptive they are. You get them in the mood. And then you go into higher gear to help them step by step. This is what it says in the beginning of the parasha. Now listen to this. It says one more small point. 
It says he said this El Kol Yisrael. He said this in front of the entire nation. He could have just said El Yisrael. He could have just said he said this to Yisrael. Yisrael and Kol Yisrael seems to be the same thing. If I say he said these words to Bnei Yisrael. That's what it means. What's Kol Yisrael? What is the word all coming to be Mehadesh? So Rashi Alava Shalom says, this is a very important Rashi. Ready for this? Says Rashi. Says Rashi Alava Shalom. What does it mean? El Kol Yisrael. Says Rashi. Listen to these words. When you read them, they don't seem to be so awesome, but they're awesome. He says, If Moshe, he gave rebuke to some of them, meaning basically, call Israel means they told him, oh wait, there's a hundred guys not here yet. Listen, two million are here. Ten guys missing, yalla, let's start. Oh, there's a guy in the bathroom. Says Moshe Rabbeinu, I'm not starting. I want everybody here. Everyone has to be present. A hundred, ten, five, four, three, two, one. Until everybody is here, I'm not talking. El kol Israel. I want every single Jew alive here. Why? Why are you so, so particular? When he gave them El Chot Shabbat, they might have been guys in the bathroom. I don't know. They, they'll, they'll learn it from somebody else. Every time he spoke, he needs to have full attendance. But this one, he said, I want everybody here. I'll wait till everyone shows up. Why? Says Rashi, because if somebody would not be here, he says, Elu Shebashuk, those who were in the market, means they weren't here. They would say, Meaning, all the people come out. After Moshe Rabbeinu's rebuke, and they're all inspired. They come out of the class, they're flying. They're ready. That's it. A new Shabbat. A new, I'm going to start learning. That's it. I'm going to work on my this. I'm going to work on my that. Uh, guys, what? The rabbi Moshe, imagine Moshe Rabbeinu spoke. And you know what kind of, you know kind of ma'amad that is? You know, today they have, they have a stadium of 20,000 people. Everyone gets excited to get up to speak. And everyone gets could you imagine what it was like? Millions of people and Moshe Rabbeinu on the mountain talking to everybody. You know, at the end of his life. Could you imagine the inspiration? Can you imagine what they walked away with? And then what happens? They meet a guy who wasn't there. He says, hey guys, what? What happened? What do you, what do you look so excited about? Oh, you don't know. New Shabbat. Dead. Shabbat, you know how I come over Shabbat and we do that? Not, I'm not doing that anymore. Not coming to Shabbat anymore. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm doing this. Tomorrow morning, I'm up 6 o'clock. I'm going to start. Hey, 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 hey. What happened? What happened? They said, what do you mean? Moshe Rabbeinu spoke to us. It was a very, it's a big item. You weren't there. No. He says, so when he, what did he tell you? Tell me what he told you. He said this. And he said that. Of course, you can't repeat the whole speech. So he started saying, oh, he spoke about this. He spoke about that. You know what they tell you? He says, Ben Amram. You know what Ben Amram means? 
the son of Amram. They don't say Moshe. Ben Amram, that rabbi. They say, oh yeah, Yadid. Well, what are they saying? They don't say, what did Moshe Rabbeinu say? They don't say that. They say, Ben Amram, the son of Amram. Already, already, they cooled you down. You are 100, you're already at 30. Already, the personality who's supposed to have inspired you is nobody special. He's just Ben Amram. You, you walked out with Moshe Rabbeinu talking to you, and the conversation just started, and already, it's Ben Amram. Okay, he's, he's a Ben Amram. He's a, nobody. He says, unbelievable. He says, he says, Tell me, what did he tell you, Ben Amram? What did he say? He said he mentioned that this is something we shouldn't be doing. He says, what? He says, And you didn't ask him the obvious question. You didn't say, why should we do that? Or what? This is called Letzanut. You heard of Letzanut? Letzanut is when they call you a rabbi because you came to pray one day. Woke out of shul one day. You're not a shul goer, you know? All of a sudden, this guy sees you in the street. He's jogging without a shirt and uh, in his tight shorts. <laughs> And he's flying by the shul all of a sudden. He sees you with your koracha and he sees you with a kippah. He says, hey, what happened? Oh, you, you became a rabbi? Has he? The guy drops the, he drops everything. <laughs> Takes off his shirt right away. <laughs> he He says, Hasbe Shalom, what are you talking about? <laughs> said, oh, I had Kaddish, why don't go to Shul? God forbid. I don't, I, don't, I don't do those things. You should know that Letzanut is a part of the human anatomy and behavior. That when you see someone doing something which looks like it's better than you, you need to bring him down. These guys who weren't there, they will use words and lines to cool the excitement in the air. So what does the smart, genius Moshe Rabbeinu do? When a rabbi speaks, or when you speak to your children, when you're helping somebody, you must be aware of the letzanut that they're going to face. You tell a child, a young man, a young lady, you help somebody upgrade their life. You need to be aware that they're going to be attacked. If you don't take care of that end, you're leaving them with inspiration but it usually is going to end up in a failure because the power of a let's is very strong and can bring down Moshe Rabbeinu's inspiration in front of millions of people 
and one guy in the shuk could bring you down. Could you imagine? You're there, two million people. Moshe Rabbeinu is about to die. You're flying and all it takes is one guy in the shuk to say, Ben Amram said something. What, what, what did he mean by that? Are you kidding? Didn't somebody No, Moshe Rabbeinu is worried that some wise guy will say, you, be, you believe that? You ever hear that? You believe that? The man spoke for an hour and a half. He brought you every proof in the book. You believe that? What was he saying? Oh, come on. All these kind oranges give you a pace. Moshe Rabbeinu, aware of the terrible effects of Letzanut, says this message is too important. I want everybody here. Everyone's got to be here. This way, there's nobody in the shuk. There's nobody there left out that will end up destroying what I have accomplished. The bottom line is, whenever you give somebody advice to upgrade their life, you must be aware of the letzanut. So if you could have everyone there, great. If you can't have everyone there, you got to equip the person. You got, for example, you tell a person, you'll start learning. The first thing you got to talk to them about is, by the way, just want you to know, be careful. Because the first thing that happens if you start learning is that your friends are going to mock you. And let me explain to you why they're mocking you. Because they feel, they don't mean a bad way. They're not bad people. They don't mean to hurt you. They just feel bad because they're not doing it. And they don't feel right that you're better than them. So they have to knock you down. Pray, tell them, I hear you. I understand you. Don't answer them back. One day, they will actually listen to you. But don't pay attention to their words. If you don't equip somebody, after you inspire them, whether it's in your conversation or whatever it is, if you don't equip them with the ability to deal with the person from the shuk, so then you really haven't given them much. That's why it says, El Kol Yisrael. This has to be given to the entire, nobody left in the shuk to make letzanut and to cool the people down. Rabbi, I have a wonderful day. Shabbat Shalom.